Welcome to the 217th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions and our weekly look at MLB. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted as always every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in MLB, where I went 2 and 2 in those predictions. And in Women's World Cup predictions, I went 1-2 and two with one tie mixed in there that doesn't count on the record. Uh, that means I went 3-4 and four overall, bringing me to a 760 and 507 overall record, a 60% winning percentage. Uh, in terms of my thoughts on this week, I'm a little bit disappointed because I had an opportunity to go uh, at a rate that would be a 60% uh, complete, or sorry, 60% correct percentage. Um in my predictions through a thousand games total of regular season predictions. My playoff predictions are a few percentage points better than my regular season ones um, with a smaller sample size. So my overall one is at 60, but the regular season one sits at 59.8 at 595 and 400 was trying to get to that 600 wins mark before the 400 losses mark. But unfortunately that did not happen. Uh, But regardless, uh, this was an okay week of predictions. I really had two series in baseball kind of swing on uh, very, very low margins. And same thing in the Women's World Cup where I got beat by a few situational things and I tried to get a little cute with my picks. So not really overall upset or too happy with these predictions. Just feeling very neutral on them, which that would come with a 3-4 and four record. I think that's uh, pretty reasonable. But going back to MLB, the Reds took 2-3 or three from the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers rotation is just kind of really not so great right now, and that's typically what the organization is built off of. We talk about Dodgers pitching all the time. Uh, the bullpen last year was pretty good. The starting pitching was even better in 2021 when they had Max Scherzer. It was even, even, even better. Um, just really, really good. Uh, and Walker Buehler as well when he was still healthy and all that stuff. Uh, but again, now with the health issues and Julio Reyes not being up to his normal standards, Tony Gonsolin not being up to his normal standards, they're rookies in the rotation, and they've done okay for the most part, Bobby Miller's had uh, a few really good starts, uh, one or two clunkers, and then pretty much just some overall solid ones in between, he's had a pretty decent rookie year, um, and he's looking to take that next step towards the end of this year, uh, and heading into next year to really look like the ace that his uh, prospect ranking would tell you he might become in the future, Uh, but despite the fact that you could say he hasn't really grown into himself yet, he still has a 6-2 and record and actually has the best ERA on the staff other than Clayton Kershaw of healthy pitchers, or pitchers that will be pitching this year, I should say, because uh, Dustin May did have a higher, a, a better ERA as well, but he's not coming back this year. Uh, but only Kershaw is better. He has a better ERA than Gonsolin. He has a better ERA um, than Lance Lynn, who is now joining the rotation. He has a better ERA he actually has a, a slightly worse ERA than Tony Gonson, actually, excuse me on that, um, and better than Julio Arias's, uh numbers as well, and same with Emmett Sheehan uh, or Michael Grove, whichever one will end up being the fifth guy in the rotation once Lance Lynn comes around, which it looks like he'll be making his debut on Tuesday, but we'll talk more about trades in a second. Uh, but yeah, the Reds, they have had a bad starting rotation all year long, but it really felt like for one series against a really good team, they on paper arguably had the advantage in the starting staff at ver- at the very least they had an even starting staff matchup and the fact of the matter is the way that offense is going right now 
uh, the Reds are not going to lose when they have even starting pitching matchups or even anywhere near close starting pitching matchups because they just have an electric offense. Uh, and then Mookie Betts got injured and didn't play uh, the final two games of the series. And J.D. Martinez had to be scratched in the middle of the final game of the series. And Will Smith, same thing. Uh, the Dodgers were already losing big early, though, so not too. So I, I don't. I'm not too worried about those injuries. But uh, we can move on from that series. The Giants took two of three from the Red Sox. Two of those games they won on walk-off, so this is why I'm not too upset. Um, they won the first game of the series, or sorry, they lost the first game of the series three to two. The Red Sox getting an eighth inning run, uh, and the Giants getting one in the eighth as well on a Jock Peterson solo homer to bring the lead from three one to three two but could not crack Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning. Uh, so the Red Sox took the first game, but then in the second game, it was another 3-2 game, but the Red Sox this time were the ones with the comeback. The Giants were up 2 to nothing entering the ninth, but then Boston actually got two runs off Camilo Duvall. Very rare to do that. Um, but then on the first pitch of the ninth inning, of the bottom of the ninth, J.D. Davis had a walk-off home run off the foul pole, so that was the end of Kenley Jansen's... Uh, run there and that was a blown save for him uh or i guess not a blown save because it was actually just tied at the time but one pitch one hit one earned run one home run one loss for kenley in that game and then on sunday with kenley unavailable as he had pitched the first two games uh the red sox squandered their opportunities to take the lead uh in extra innings did not score with the ghost runner at all and as a result the giants were able to push one through in the bottom of the 11th um, and Boston didn't have their closer, so not too surprising that that happened. Uh, but in the end, it ends up being a series victory for the Giants. They went 4-3 to three, uh, in 11 innings on Sunday, and then 3-2 to two the night before on a walk-off. Uh, both of those games actually in walk-off fashion, as I said, to win the series overall. Not too surprised there, um, but the Red Sox were playing well recently. Hard to judge which of these teams was going to take the series because the Giants had been on a big losing streak and then they played the A's twice so you never know how much stock to put into those games uh, but looks like they have kind of caught a little bit of a hot streak here have won four of their last five heading into a series with the Diamondbacks uh, but then the Rays took two of three from the Astros the Astros put up 17 runs on Saturday um, and after they had lost four to three on Friday they just kind of ran out of runs the Rays got one in the ninth on Friday uh, to win the game 4-3, to three. but then when the Astros scored 17, they won 17-4, to four. but then on Sunday, the Rays jumped out to an early lead, scoring four in the first inning, uh, made it 4 to nothing off of Brandon Bielak, and all of a sudden, that was pretty much all they needed. Houston only got two back, so they won that game 8-2 to two and took the series. And then finally, the Orioles took two of three from the Yankees. Uh, this series was scarier than I thought because I was assuming this was a judgeless Yankees team and then all of a sudden he was activated on Friday to play in this series and I got really scared that uh, Orioles would not be able to uh, withhold the power of Aaron Judge but well they, they really weren't they just kind of didn't let him get any damage off because they walked him three times on Friday uh, and in that game maybe pitching to him would have lost in the game because they lost they won one to nothing um, on a walk-off home run the only homer, the only run scored in the game was that Anthony Santander walk-off solo homer. Uh, eight hits combined in the whole game. Judge got on three times out of four from walks, but still, uh, Garrett Cole had a great outing, but unfortunately, uh, he was matched by Grayson Rodriguez, and then, yeah, they decided that uh, that was enough for that game, and Anthony Santander walked it off. 
Then on Saturday, the Yankees responded by getting an 8-3 victory, keyed by Judge's three-hit game, uh, where he had two RBIs, one homer, one, one strikeout, but two runs scored and three hits overall and five at-bats, so pretty good game for him. Uh, but then... The Orioles, they responded on Sunday Night Baseball 1-9-3 in the first Sunday Night Baseball game at Camden since 2018, I believe. So, very good result for them. They had six runs in the first inning off Luis Severino before recording an out, which was just staggering to see. Uh, But the Yankees, unfortunately, can't get what they want out of their pitchers. Judge did not play in this game as he's still, I guess, rehabbing to a point where he needs to take a few days off here and there. That makes total sense. Uh, So, you got to load manage it a little bit. Um, but he did not play in this game, and it ended up hurting them. So the Orioles took the series, and uh, I end up 2-2 two and two in MLB. In Women's World Cup, two games I lost. I'll go through it quickly. I, I just got a little too cute with the predictions. Uh, England beat Denmark 1-0. England is higher ranked in the FIFA rankings. That's pa- that's basically what I've been using. Um, but they had some... Uh, I mixed a little bit of the FIFA rankings with how teams have come into the tournament and how teams have played in the tournament. And... England, they won their first game against Haiti, but only one to nothing, and they had just had a draw against Portugal in a friendly before and lost to Australia uh, and beaten Brazil on penalties, so they weren't necessarily playing their strongest, uh, or in their strongest form heading into the World Cup, so I figured there was a chance for Denmark to pull off the upset after they had pulled off a one nothing victory over China um, and had, had some competitive games against other teams, beating Japan, beating Sweden in April. Um, and beating Uruguay and also Norway on their way uh, to preparing for the Women's World Cup. So I thought there was a chance Denmark could win, uh, but unfortunately got that one wrong. Got a little too cute with that prediction. Same thing with France against Brazil. Uh, My overconfidence in Brazil was because they scored four on Panama. They had four against Chile in a friendly before that. They'd beaten Germany, uh, and then they had gone to penalties with England before. So I assumed they were going to be able to handle the challenge of France, but France was up to that challenge themselves, uh, and they end up after actually having a rough first game of the tournament, tying with Jamaica, which is another reason why I had picked um, Brazil uh, in this game, but France was able to uh, actually play very well, play up to their standards, get the victory, a 2-1 victory, uh, and put themselves in a decent position to advance uh, to the next round, although they are still behind Jamaica, who secured a draw in their match Uh, with Panama, but now they're going to have to play France, so we'll see what happens with that. That'll be a very interesting um, game there with Jamaica, or sorry, Jamaica plays Brazil, um, and they will have to be the ones duking it out for the last spot in the group, most likely, as France plays Panama, who's the weak link of the group, so that's pretty interesting. We'll see what happens there, Uh, but then you have Switzerland and New Zealand. Speaking of the group stage uh, kind of results, uh, well, New Zealand, they needed a victory in this game if Norway got a certain amount of goals and beat the Philippines. Norway ended up winning by six, so they had a better goal differential than New Zealand on the same amount of points. Um, And unfortunately, New Zealand not able to get a goal in this game against Switzerland, uh, as Switzerland was playing for first place in the group just with a tie no matter what. Um, So, or or just in in first place with a tie as long as the Philippines didn't beat... um, Norway, and that didn't look too likely. Uh, So in the end, New Zealand's loss to the Philippines comes back to bite them. That is what you would expect, Uh, but also kind of forgot about that dimension when making this pick that Switzerland could just be playing for the tie. That is what they did. They executed their strategy. So I feel like I should take some credit for it, but I'm not going to. Uh, And then finally, Sweden beat Italy 5-0. This match was supposed to be a lot closer on paper, but Sweden just came out very, very strong. 
uh, pot potentially a little bit upset by the fact that they had uh, almost dropped their match to South Africa, had to come back from one nothing down and score a goal in the 90th minute, too, to get their second goal and take the victory. Uh, but they came out on fire, and they just didn't stop. They got all of their goals uh, in, or sorry, they got four of their five goals in the first half, one in stoppage time in the first, and then one in stoppage time in the 95th minute um, to get the goal uh, that made it 5 to nothing over Italy. Not, not sure how necessary that's going to be. Don't really think that'll affect their ability to advance at all. Uh, but Sweden getting that victory, and that was the only prediction I won this week in the Women's World Cup. So, again, 3 and 4 combined. Uh, but now we will move on to my review of the MLB, starting, of course, in the American League East. After the Rays' long run at the top, it is finally time to let the Orioles take over. They are atop the division for the second week in a row, one and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, same number of wins for both teams, but the Orioles with three fewer losses. You can always win more games, but you can't lose less games, so very important that they're ahead in the loss column. 64-41, uh, and 41, the record for the Orioles, a 6-10 winning percentage. Only the Atlanta Braves are better currently, both in win total and in win percentage. Uh, but the Orioles, they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. They just took the series from the Yankees. Uh, I still think they can win this division. Uh, I still think they will win this division. I just don't know if they can actually compete in the playoffs without slightly better starting pitching. They probably need an upgrade or two at the deadline, but they only have about, what, 48 hours probably by the time this releases uh, for them to actually do that, but it's about to be uh, a flurry of moves going on. But for now, limited trade action. Actually, no teams in the AL East have made really significant trades. The Blue Jays have made smaller ones that I'll talk about in a bit, um, and one bigger one earlier today, uh, recording this on Sunday night for that information if you're wondering what I mean by earlier today. Uh, but the Rays, they're in second at 64 and 44. Like I said, they took that weekend series from the Astros, so that was a pretty good result for them, but overall, uh, it's been rough for the last few months, last few weeks, however you want to categorize their period of slumping down below the mean a little bit, um, but then you have the Toronto Blue Jays, who are kind of the only teams that have really made uh, trades so far. Um, they, today, did make one tiny, tiny move. They acquired Jordan Hicks from the Cardinals. I guess, you know, you could say that's actually bigger than a tiny move now that I think about it, but uh, we'll just have to see what happens with that. They DFA'd Mitch White as a result, uh, gave up uh, only a little bit in return. So we'll have to see what happens um, with that, but they are really bolstering their bullpen. They also have Henesis Cabrera from the Cardinals as well, although that I don't think was a trade. I think he was actually DFA'd and then signed by the Blue Jays, so... Don't really know to, how to classify that acquisition. It was either the typical, he didn't clear waivers and they had to maybe give up a prospect for him, so the Cardinals didn't necessarily walk away with nothing, but I'm not actually too sure. Uh, but regardless, pretty obvious that the Blue Jays are trying to remake their bullpen, uh, especially their middle relief, while the rest of their roster they think are solid. I think that's a fair that's a fair thing for them. I think that Jordan Romano is a very solid closer. He is injured right now, though, so that's uh, going to be important to see what they how they deal with that. Um, but... Despite his injury, very solid closer, probably will be back for the postseason. And their starting pitching is pretty good. I think they feel like they can rely on Jose Barrios um, as a second starter, and Kevin Gosman is definitely a worthy first starter, so don't really have any issues there. So I think the Blue Jays are probably feeling pretty good about everything but their bullpen, 
and they're just relying on their bats to be hot at the right time, which I think is about all they can do uh, strategy-wise. Can't rely on much else, and I should also mention Chris Bassett has been pretty good this year, and Yusei Kikuchi. They really have four pitchers who are all under four ERAs. Very, very good to have in your starting rotation uh, as a playoff team. And, you know, maybe they're even relying on Alec Manoa to get back to his former form. Uh, we'll have to see if he can do that. Not quite sure yet. Uh, results definitely still to be determined on that experiment. He's had some good moments and some really bad moments in his, uh, I guess, his rehab stint and then just coming back uh, after the All-Star break. But I'll move off of the Blue Jays. They are 59-47, and 47, five and a half games back uh, in the AL East. And then in the wild card, they hold the number two overall spot behind the Rays who are four games ahead of them, uh, and they're tied with the Astros for that spot. But the team that is two and a half games behind them in the wild card and in the division, which means they are eight games back of the Orioles for the lead, the Boston Red Sox, they're 56-49. and 49. Uh, They were the hottest team really in baseball for a little bit, depending on what stretch you were counting, and then also the hottest team in this division for a good amount. But unfortunately, lost that series over the weekend, like I said, to the Giants, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. And that is the same record that the New York Yankees have, uh, in their last 10, they are 55-50 and 50 on the season, though. One game back of the Red Sox, they are three and a half games out from Houston and Toronto, who are tied for that final wild card spot and the second spot, depending on... I don't know how you want to classify that one, because it gets a little confusing if you don't clarify that it's the final one, but they're also technically tied for the second spot. Uh, but that is it for the AL East, and as always, it should be mentioned that if the Yankees were in the Central, they would be leading the division uh, precisely by five, or sorry, excuse me, by two games over the Twins, who are 54 and 53, uh, despite the fact that the Guardians lost the weekend series to the White Sox after salvaging the last game of that series, the, or sorry, actually, they split the series, it was a four-game series, but despite a split against the White Sox, the Guardians are a half a game back at 53 and 53 because the Twins went on a five-game losing streak Potentially at the worst point in the season, you can do that. Um, just really disappointed in the Twins because you look at the competition. We talked about it last week that uh, they had that winning streak, but it was against the A's, uh, the Mariners, and the White Sox. And all of a sudden, they played the Mariners again. And this time, the Mariners took two of three instead of a split um, of the four games before. And then they lost all three games to the Royals after losing the last two of the Mariners series. Just embarrassing by the Twins, honestly. Um, and for their players, really, this is the time to kick it into high gear. We're seeing that the Padres, who I'll talk about in a second, um, won a weekend series, and all of a sudden, they're not they're now not going to sell at the deadline. The Cubs have played really well, best team since the All-Star break in record 11-4 and four heading into the day. Um, and now they won't sell. They won't give up Stroman. They won't give up Bellinger. And then here you have the Twins, who probably would be buyers, but... The way that they're playing, I mean, you just got to kind of just let this roster figure it out for the rest of the year. There's really no point in going all in on this team. They're just not, they're not really performing up to the level that you would say, we're going to go all in with this group and it's going to go very well. I mean, yes, you may perform well over the course of the year, but I don't think it's going to be uh, the most amazing thing if they went all in. And they did make a very, very, very small scale move. Um, trading Dylan Floro, or sorry, acquiring Dylan Floro um, for Jorge Lopez, which is interesting because last year they acquired Jorge Lopez uh, from the Orioles, and he just hasn't had a great season. He has a 4.86 ERA on the year, and meanwhile, Floro 
has a 4.39 ERA on the year, so they get an upgrade in ERA. Um, just, you know, a different look with the pitcher that you're looking at there. Really, I mean, it's kind of just an even trade. Both of those teams, the Twins and the Marlins, not the type of trade that their fan bases would probably be too happy with going into maybe two or three weeks ago. But at this point, you have to see the rationale in it because both of those teams just haven't played well uh, going towards the deadline, and it's kind of a bad move to buy in a year that's so competitive while your team is slumping. It just doesn't feel right. Uh, but 4-6 and six in their last 10 overall, at, even after losing five games. So clearly, they've shown the signs of life coming out of the All-Star break. They've just fallen back off since then. Up at the Guardians, now in second, like I said, a half game behind them, uh, which now makes two teams in this division that have positive run differentials. I guess that's kind of a positive. That's something they have over the NL Central. Uh, but then you have the Tigers. They're 47-59 and 59 on the year, six and a half games back. 3-7 in their last 10. You have the White Sox, who are 43-64, 11 games back, and the Royals, who are 32-75. They're 22 games back. Gonna breeze through all those teams, but I will say they will be important. You should know their, the, the guys on their roster over the next uh, few weeks or so because those are the three teams that are the probably, other than maybe the Rockies and the A's, I would say those are the three teams that are the obvious sellers with really no... with really actually having talent to give up, I should say, because, you know, if you're a team like the Nationals, they got rid of all their uh, long-term talent a long time ago um, and got those prospects in return, and that's the team they're rolling out with, with Mackenzie Gore, with C.J. Abrams, with Josiah Gray, Cabert Ruiz, who they got from the Padres and from the Dodgers in various trades, obviously Juan Soto and the Scherzer-Trey Turner deals are what I'm talking about, um, but the Nats don't really have many players left over uh, that are kind of short one-year rentals, just don't have many guys to trade, but they will try to trade off the margins. Um, we'll see what there is on the margins, but going back on topic, that is what those teams in the Central will be doing. Eduardo Rodriguez's name has been thrown out a lot. Uh, Michael Lorenzen's name has been thrown out a lot. Two starters that the Tigers have, Jason Foley out of the bullpen and Alex Lang, also very, very capable pitchers. Uh, probably the Tigers might have four of the best six or seven arms still on the table, depending on what you define as uh, on the trading block. Uh, but the Tigers, they will definitely be sellers. Uh, we just have to see who it will be and where they will go. Uh, the White Sox have already proven their sellers. They already gave up Lucas Giolito and Kendall Graveman and Reynaldo Lopez and Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly all to various destinations. I will talk about those destinations in a second because we're about to uh, find one of them. Uh, but they are definitely sellers as well. The Royals gave up Aroldis Chapman a long time ago, way earlier in the season before it was really deadline talk time. But the Rangers continue to be aggressive. And speaking of the Rangers, they are 60-46. and 46. They have lost three games in a row, three and seven in their last 10. And yet, despite all of that, despite the fact that the Astros just needed to take two or three from the Rays to end up atop this division by the end of the weekend, the Rangers went all in acquiring Max Scherzer at the deadline, a really big name uh, that maybe not, not many expected to be on the move maybe, you know, a few weeks ago. But at this point, with how the Mets season has gone, Definitely makes sense for them to sell, um, and Scherzer opts into his deal. Uh, the Rangers do give up Luis Angel Acuna, who is Ronald Acuna's younger brother, who's a really, really big-time prospect, not just in name value, but just uh, the stats he's putting up are ridiculous, and he's a very, very young player as well. Uh, but the Mets getting a good return on that, but they're also paying down some of the salary um, to get that good of return back, but the Rangers will be paying him for next year's salary, which... Uh, we'll see how that works out, but Scherzer and DeGrom will be on the same team again. Um, that 
obviously was a thing on the Mets last year, but now all of a sudden it is in Texas. Um, and we'll see who else may join that rotation later on. Uh, it's very interesting to watch uh, what will happen with them because they're still apparently targeting other pitchers um, at the deadline, which is just extremely, extremely, extremely aggressive. Um, the Rangers have been. Uh, so they're, uh, they're, they're impressive, honestly. Um, what they're doing at the deadline, it's really a show of going as all in as you can possibly go um, for players. So it, it, I, I give them credit for that, honestly. I really don't have many words other than to say I'm giving them a lot of credit for um, making moves and trying to get even better. And they're also now finalizing a deal. Uh, they have finalized a deal to get Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton from the Cardinals. So that's another starter that the Rangers have gotten. Just way too many starters on that team. But you look at a team like the 2021 Dodgers and you think he might have it all, but then all of a sudden Max Scherzer's arm starts bugging him a little bit. He's a little bit injured. Walker Bueller has to step in, throw uh, on a little bit of shorter rest. The Braves are able to tattoo him. And then Scherzer makes his next start a little bit injured. And all of a sudden the Dodgers are out of the postseason. Braves end up walking on. Uh, and as we know, winning the 2021 World Series. So when you think of things like that, you, you just never know how many pitchers you're going to need. I mean, I think even the Dodgers um, last year would tell you that they thought they were going to be fine uh, with the pitching they had, but then all of a sudden, one bad start from Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May not quite up to what they thought he was going to be by the end of the season because his rehab hadn't produ uh, progressed so well, and all of a sudden, now the Dodgers don't have enough starting pitchers. So... You never know what can happen. The Rangers having seven or eight is not a bad thing at all, um, especially because they have seven or eight going into next year. Uh, DeGrom, obviously, not a factor for the end of this year, so it's more like six or seven now. And then uh, one more add-on next year, and then we'll just have to see if, uh, you know, maybe they move some of those guys in the offseason potentially as a result uh, of that and then just trying to get another player on the margins, maybe rebuilding their farm even to get more players next year. We'll see what they do with that. Uh, but anyway, the Rangers, 60-46, and 46, like I said, a little bit cold right now, though. But the Astros, they're starting to catch up. They are one game back of the Rangers, currently, as I said, tied for that final wild card and the second spot with the Blue Jays. Uh, they're 59-47, and 6-4 in their last 10, pretty respectable. But the talk of the deadline has been the Los Angeles Angels. They have made the most moves, and not even by acquiring players, but just by dangling Shohei's name out there trying to find the guys that they could get back in return and potentially not getting the um, ridiculous return that they might want to get that to get a player that is just a ridiculous player on his own um, and provides enough wins that you should overpay for him. But the Angels instead decide, you know what? We're playing well recently, 7-3 and three in our last 10. Uh, we're going to go all in. We're going to try to make this the year where we win. Hopefully Mike Trout can come back uh, from the injured list as quick as possible. And they send their top, sorry, excuse me, their second-rated and their third-rated prospects to the White Sox to get Reynaldo Lopez and to get Lucas Giolito. Uh, very, very interesting trade there by the Angels. Definitely trying to bolster their rotation and their bullpen. It's definitely the part of the team that needs the most help, their pitching staff overall. Uh, Giolito has made his start, his first start, I should say, for the Angels. Um going to pull up the stats from that one right now as we speak, but it's very interesting that they made that move. I mean, I, I, I really like the move overall. Uh, Giolito, unfortunately, did not win his first start. He gave up two homers uh, in five and a third, uh, gave up three earned runs, 
but he's used to not getting run support. He's already played on the White Sox this season, so a 4-1 to loss is probably not too uh, unfamiliar to him, and as a matter of fact, they lost his last game 5-4. to He's lost his last five starts, but I don't really think any of that is his fault. He has a 3.85 ERA on the course over the course of the whole season. Uh, and then Reynaldo Lopez, he has pitched an inning in the third. That inning in the third he pitched, it was scoreless on Saturday, but the Blue Jays still were able to win that game. Uh, but the Angels, they're, they're being very aggressive, um, and deservedly so. I think their team has played well enough to deserve at least one year of going all in. They had already acquired many guys before Mike Moustakis, Ed, Eduardo Escobar, um, and now Giolito very early in the deadline. Really, I, kind of, I think kind of the first move that broke the action. If not that, it was the Dodgers moves, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but the Angels, they are also acquiring Randall Grichuk and CJ Crone from the Rockies, um, giving up their number eight and their number 28 overall prospects on pipeline as their system continues to thin down with the loss of Edgar Cuero and Kai Bush as well. Uh, but the Angels, they're being aggressive. That is very, very interesting. Grichuk, I don't know how much he's going to play um, when Trout comes back, but for now he will play a lot. So very, very interesting there by the Angels. And then finally, the bottom two teams in the division, probably two of the least active teams by the deadline. Uh, the Mariners, they're 54 and 51, seven and three in their last 10. They are really in no position to buy. I don't think it would be very smart for them to do that. Um, they really haven't encountered the same level of injury issues as uh, a lot of other teams have, and they're still a few games back, especially as many injuries as the Angels have had to sustain. And yet the Angels are still doing better, so I don't really see why the Mariners would uh, try to buy. The only thing you could see them maybe doing is trading Teoscar Hernandez, who's I think only has this year left on his deal anyway. Um, so that would be an interesting thing to see if they would do that. Uh, but I don't think they're going to quite go full sell mode or quite go full buy mode, but as a small mar a smaller market team, I should say, not a small market team, but a smaller market team uh, that doesn't typically run a high payroll this is probably not the year to try to go all in and do that. Uh, they made their playoff appearance last year, snapped the drought, and they're still playing well, but just need to uh, maybe wait until next year and see if things can go better overall, get those rookies ready, Brian Wu uh, to keep playing, and Bryce Miller as well, uh, to keep pitching uh, better as the year goes on. And then finally, you have the A's who are 30 and 77. They would be loud at the deadline, but they already traded Jintaro Fujinami, kind of their only guy really on a one-year deal that was worth looking at. Great stuff, but not a great ERA. Uh, the Orioles picked him up, but I don't really think they have many pieces to trade that teams would actually pay a high price for, and if they don't pay the price the A's are asking for, maybe the A's don't deal them at all. Uh, but then, in the NL East, we will move on from the American League. Uh, get to the NL East, where you start with the Braves, as always, the best record in the National League and in all of the major leagues, that is the Atlanta Braves, 67-36 and 36 on the season, 6-4 and four in their last 10. They have won three in a row against the Brewers. Uh, they're just kind of doing their thing. Not really much to say about them. They've been, uh, they've been making small moves in terms of the deadline, um, and it looks like they're still in the market for a starter. That is what the buzz currently is. But for now, haven't really made any moves. Um, they got Nicky Lopez for Taylor Hearn, who they had previously acquired from the Rangers. So I guess they did do a little bit of uh, flipping and stuff like that. But we'll see what Lopez actually ends up doing for them. He hasn't been a great hitter enough to be in that lineup, to be honest. But probably a pinch hitting and uh, defensive substitution uh, would be my guess of what he would do. Uh, and a solid backup for Ozzy Albies, just in case uh, there's an injury. Or Orlando Arcia probably can play both of those middle infield positions. Uh, but then you have the Marlins. They have not been playing well recently at all. 
Uh, they've fallen almost below the Phillies in this race in the National League. Um, currently 11.5 back of the Braves for the division lead, but I think that division has kind of already been wrapped up. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, so the wild card, which is important to talk about, they are tied with Milwaukee for the second spot, but just a half game ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies, who are 56 and 49. Uh, two games in a row they have lost, but they're four and six in their last 10, just like the Marlins. Again, only a half game out of a playoff spot. Um, and with their roster, I would feel pretty confident that they could pass at least one of Miami, Milwaukee, or San Francisco. Uh, they've already climbed ahead of Arizona, who we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but then you have the Mets, who are 50-55, and 55, obviously made noise for selling and giving away Max Scherzer. And finally, at the bottom of the division, the Nationals at 44-62, and 24.5 games back. But they're 6-4 and four in their last 10, actually tied with the Braves for the best record in this division over the last 10 games. Uh, and then moving on to the NL Central, it is the Cincinnati Reds who have taken over first place. That is by virtue of their series victory over the weekend over the Los Angeles Dodgers. 7-3 and three now in their last 10. They joined the Cubs on the positive side of the run differential uh, criteria with their victory, uh, their six-run victory over the Dodgers, or nine-run victory, excuse me, over the Dodgers on Sunday. Uh, they are half a game ahead of the Brewers, who are currently in the second wildcard spot, also tied for the last wildcard spot with the Marlins. Um, they have lost three in a row. They got swept by the Braves, four and six in their last 10. Uh, after taking so many series from the Reds and taking the overall season series, the Brewers have not been quite as good against the rest of the league, and as a result, it is the Reds who are leading the division currently. And now all of a sudden, not too far behind, the team with the best run differential in this division, and actually the third, excuse me, fourth best in the National League, behind only the Padres, which is very interesting, the Dodgers and the Braves. It's the Chicago Cubs who are now not going to sell. That is the rumor out there. Uh, they are 8-2 in their last 10, above 500 for the first time since May. Uh, they're 53-52 and 52 on the season, four games back. Three and a half back of a wild card spot. Uh, they have some games against Milwaukee at the end of the season. They have some games against the Reds. In fact, their next series is against the Reds. Uh, a four-game series for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that technically there's a world where the Cubs sweep that series and those two are tied atop the division that would also require the Brewers losing a lot of games, but just throwing out the hypothetical. Um, they can at least make a big dent in the division lead, and if not do and if not do anything else, they could also just make the Reds' uh, life a lot worse in terms of trying to make the playoffs. They play the Brewers at the end of August, then they play the Reds again for another four games, uh, and then they also play the Brewers in two games to end the season. So they do have five games left against the Brewers and eight left against the Bra against the Reds. Excuse me. So. Very, very important games coming up uh, for them. But they have a pretty brutal rest of their schedule, too, um, in terms of playing the Braves back-to-back -back with the Reds, also playing the Blue Jays in August, um, and then also playing the Giants and the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks and then uh, the Braves and the Brewers to end the season. But I will say they have the Pirates a bunch of times in that stretch, uh, which is pretty, pretty good for them. Seven games against the Pirates, three against the Tigers, three against the Royals, two against the White Sox, and three against the Mets as well, uh, and also three-game series against the Rockies. So they have their fair share of easy game. actually seven games against the Rockies in September. So they have their fair share of easy games remaining. Pretty much every game left for them uh, is either a, a playoff contender, a pretty solid playoff contender, uh, or it's a divisional opponent, or it's just a really bad team in the AL Central. Um, so that's kind of interesting. 
uh, how that season is going to unfold for them. But I think they believe, looking at their schedule going forward, looking at how they've done when injured guys have come back, mainly talking about Cody Bellinger and his resurgence, looking at their pitching staff, I think they feel confident. I don't know how much buying the Cubs are going to do with the deadline, but I think they've solidified themselves as non-sellers for sure, and I think that is a good decision, um, especially because it, if if nothing else, it could at least rejuvenate the fan base to really be all in on this team as they always have been in the past, but really, really go all in um, as they head into next year where they actually definitely will be a really solid team, I think, once they have their prospects mature a little bit and maybe spend a lot more in free agency than just getting a signing like Dansby Swanson. I think they might have big things on the horizon, maybe a Stroman extension, um, as well as potentially a run at Shohei Otani. They already have Seiya Suzuki on their team. Uh, Otani, I think Chicago was one of the finalists for him as well. Um, so they already have that kind of Japanese uh, player pipeline there going with the Cubs recently. And we'll see if maybe, you know, Seiya Suzuki, he didn't actually play in the WBC, but maybe he did some talking to Shohei. Maybe he tried to convince him a little bit. He's one of the few MLB players on that roster. So maybe he did. Maybe he did a little bit of convincing. Maybe he might come to the Cubs. I know the Cubs are going to make a move uh, in the offseason. I know they're going to try to get Shohei for sure. Uh, but in the bottom of this division, I'll get off the Shohei talk. You have Pittsburgh and the Cardinals, both at 47 wins. The Cardinals made it obvious that they're selling. Flirted Nolan Arenado's name out there uh, a little bit. Uh, but 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Had the unfortunate job of playing the Cubs over the weekend, so that didn't go too well. Uh, but the Pirates... They are 47-58. They are one game ahead of the Cardinals. They're 6-4 in their last 10, but they just traded Carlos Santana away within the division, actually, to the Brewers. I should have mentioned that when I was talking about the Brewers, but still, uh, he had a home run today against the Braves. Didn't matter, but um, an interesting decision, to say the least. A lot of interdivisional trading recently that uh, I didn't really expect, but, you know, as a Dodgers fan, you would hope maybe that could lead to... Uh, some guys from the Padres being offloaded there. But first of all, I think for many reasons that would never happen. And second of all, um, it wouldn't happen because the Padres aren't selling anymore. But speaking of that division, let's go to the Dodgers division. They are the leaders currently, uh, despite being four and six in their last 10, and nobody has been playing well in the NL West recently. Uh, 59 and 45, just dropped series to the Reds and the Blue Jays after taking the first three series after the break uh, over the Mets, the Orioles, and the Rangers. So, had some tough opponents, played up to their competition, had some tough opponents later, played down below their competition, uh, and this week we'll get a little bit of a reset by playing the Oakland A's. So hopefully the Dodgers can sweep there if you're a Dodgers fan like I am. Uh, the Giants, meanwhile, almost squandered the opportunity to make up games on the Dodgers. They were still four games back, though, about a week and a half ago, and they still remain two games back. Probably should be a little closer, considering that the Dodgers lost two series in a row at home, something that... LA doesn't do very often, one of the best home teams in the league, if not the best behind maybe only the Braves and a few other teams. Um, but the Giants, nonetheless, 58 and 48, their walk-off win on Sunday was a big deal because it means they are three games back of the Dodgers heading into the week, uh, heading into the series against the third place Diamondbacks, 56 and 50. They are two and eight in their last 10. They now have a negative run differential on the season. This team has been falling off a cliff for weeks now, and it's really unprecedented to uh, say the least. They even got Merrill Kelly back recently, um, and I don't know if he won his start or not. The Mariners uh, took two of three from them after the Cardinals took two of three from them after the Reds swept them after they did take two of three from the Braves, but that was only after getting swept by the Blue Jays. Um, so really not a good July at all 
uh, for the Diamondbacks. They started off July with a win against the Angels, and they were 50-34 and 34 at the time, 16 games above 500. They are now just six games above 500. Um, so they started July 50 and 33. They're about to end July uh, 56 and 50. So if you can do the math, they went six and 16 so far this month. Just sorry, six and 17 so far this month with one game remaining against the Giants. Just a really, really rough month uh, for the Diamondbacks as they started that in the lead. And the Dodgers haven't even really played amazing to catch up, but somehow just kind of lucked their way into it with how bad the Diamondbacks have been playing. And that means that as a result, they are one game out of a wild card spot. They're also behind Philadelphia. And the way the Cubs are playing right now, I, I would put them above Arizona in terms of likelihood, likelihood excuse me, to make the postseason. Um, maybe they could be more likely than Miami, but I'm not so sure. And then you also got Milwaukee and San Francisco and Philadelphia. Um, and I say Milwaukee, but it's really just the loser of the Central, the second place team in the Central. Um, so... It's a really interesting thing what's happened to the Diamondbacks. It, it, it coincides with Merrill Kelly being on the IL, but he is back now. But what's very good as a Dodgers fan is that these two teams will be playing each other this week for four games. they got to beat each other up a little bit. So uh, a very interesting stretch coming up here. Uh, the Dodgers had their really tough part of their schedule. Now the Giants are about to embark on theirs. They play the Diamondbacks for four, and they get a brief respite by playing the A's for two. But then... The schedule gets ridiculously tough. They have the Angels for three, the Rangers for three, the Rays for three, the Braves for three, the Phillies for three, the Braves for three again, and then the Reds uh, in August. So a really tough August schedule. And if you want to take it even farther, they also play the Padres for four at the end of September, We'll see, or beginning of September, end of August. Uh, we'll see how good that team is by that time, how much they've given up or not given up. If they're right in the mix of things, that might be a really big series. Uh, and then they actually play the Cubs even right after that. Um, so definitely some tough series for the Giants. And then obviously final four series are all divisional ones and they didn't get the, uh, the, the long end of the stick. They definitely got the short end of the stick. They're playing the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers for four, and then the Padres for three and then the Dodgers for two again. So a rough, rough end of the season for the Giants in terms of scheduling. And they're already two games back. Meanwhile, the Dodgers have kind of gotten through their hard part of their schedule, uh, in July now get the A's and then the Padres, and then the Diamondbacks, but then the Rockies, and then the Guardians, Red Sox. There are definitely some games that are hard left on the Dodgers schedule, but I'd much rather be playing the Marlins uh, and the A's in between series with the Padres uh, and the Diamondbacks than I would uh, go back to playing the Blue Jays and the Braves and the Reds again. Um, but Sorry, not the Braves, the Orioles. Um, but look, the schedule is going to be very important down the stretch. These teams are all, they're all very quality teams. Um, the Diamondbacks have not been playing like one recently. Uh, but they have some chances to get back on track. They probably have the easier schedule um, out of the three coming up. But after they get through the Twins, they do have to play the Dodgers. Um, and then after they get through a little stretch of Padres and Rockies, they are going to play the Rangers, the Reds, and the Dodgers, uh, and then the Orioles. So it doesn't really get any easier for any of those teams. There are a lot of just good teams everywhere in the MLB, so it's hard to have a really easy stretch in the schedule right now. Uh, but anyway, you got the Padres. They're 52 and 54. They are deciding not to sell at the deadline by virtue of sweeping the Rangers over the weekend. So it's funny, the Rangers go all in uh, as a division leader. And the Padres here as a fourth place team decide not to sell because, hey, we just beat a division leader. Why can't we win a playoff series if we can make our way into the dance? Um, that's pretty much what they, what they did last year, honestly. Uh, so I, I don't fault them for the strategy. I really don't think it's that it's that bad. It's, it's as dumb as people think it might be. Um, but 
Uh, I'm also generally on the side that unless you really have one guy that's going to get a huge return, maybe like a Shohei, um, and that's not going to crater your team um, if you give him away, which that's the problem that Shohei would do that. Uh, I'm go- I'm all for doing that. Um, so maybe in the Padres case, maybe I would have been okay with trading maybe just a Josh Hader or something like that. That's what the Brewers did a few years ago. But the problem is that that might deflate the club the clubhouse anyway. So it doesn't really matter um, how much you know uh, opportunity there is to actually make up games. Still, if you kind of deflate the clubhouse, it's probably going to just make everything worse anyway. Uh, but the Padres eight games back. Uh, of the Dodgers for first, and they're six games back of the Giants, who hold that number one wild card spot, five games back of the Marlins and the Brewers, tied for the final spot. But they did win that series over the weekend, sweep that series, I should say, and they're six and four in the last ten. And then finally, you have the Rockies, who, unlike last year's trade deadline, they have made a move so far. Congratulations, Rockies! You made a move. You didn't sit out the deadline this year. Forty-one and sixty-four, eighteen and a half games back, four and six, a complete non-factor in this division, as always. Um, well, I shouldn't say as always, uh, as since the, uh, Arenado and Story era ended. Uh, but that will wrap up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, August 4th, where we will have our second college football preview podcast, uh, second of four, I should mention, that will be talking about the group of five and independence. Yes, we're building up the suspense before you learn any playoff teams are revealed because we haven't revealed any yet. Uh, We'll see if the group of five has one. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't think they do. Maybe they do. Maybe the independents have one. Notre Dame is always poking their name around. But anyway, uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my MLB Power Rankings that are updated every Wednesday, my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday, and my predictions for the entire college football season, which have been posted, so you might be able to figure out without the suspense uh, of waiting who I have in the playoff. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D number 24.com. Thank you for listening.